0: Being a mom is the toughest job there is, and it doesn't come with instructions. So it's okay if you don't have all the answers. We'll figure it out together. This is Mom Brain with Alaria Baldwin and Daphne Oz. Hey guys, welcome back to Mom Brain. I'm Daphne, and I'm Ilaria. And today we are chatting with Sarah OJ. She is a philanthropist, a doula, mom of twin boys and another boy, so three boys under two. And also the executive producer of a brand new movie called Born Free, all about the state of maternal health in the United States of America.
1: She, you know, I mean, so many of us, Daphne and I have both had amazing experiences giving birth to our children and we have been privileged enough to have amazing medical care. Um, And what Sarah is going to come on and and talk to us about is that not all of us are this lucky. Um, And she has some great ideas and she knows some organizations how we can get involved to to help our mama group. Have a listen to Sarah. This is a
2: I'm Sarah OJ. I'm a mom of three boys, two and under. I'm a trained birth doula. I'm a birth rights activist. I'm a philanthropist, a consultant, um,
0: and a world traveler. So we are sitting here with Sarah, who among so many other things is the mother of three boys under two. (laughs) If you're wondering how she did that, it's because she had twins first, which is anytime, like, on the one hand, I think it's probably a, a, a gift to have had the twins first because, like, it's all you ever knew of motherhood. So it made, um, I can imagine your third one that much, Um, you know, you felt like an old hand, a pro, because they were also, what, nine months when you got pregnant with him? Mm-hmm. I mean, crazy. You are amazing. But, you know, somehow managed in the process of being mother to these boys to also – um become a were you a doula already when you mm-hmm. had... Okay. When did, Take us through your life a little bit, because I'm confused. When did the doula happen? Why did you become a doula? And then we're going to get to talk about your new movie, which I'm super excited about. Excited is not the right word. It's about... It's a discussion, a really relevant and important discussion about the state of maternal health in this country, where we assume that healthcare is at top-notch level, and it's definitively not. So we'll get there. But first, doula.
2: <laughs> doula. So I actually became a doula long before I became a mom. My now sister-in-law. So when my husband and I had been dating like six months, had a home birth and I was there uh, six hours after the baby was born, she was like hanging out in bed with her newborn. And I thought, well, "That's well, this is not what I thought. This is not what I've seen. This is, you know, and um, I made myself useful in other ways to help her out. And she wrote me a really nice thank you card and was like, you'd make a great doula. And I looked into it and I thought, all right, I, I think I'd like to do this. I think I'd like to explore this further, um, and I did. And I, I, at the time, was working in fashion, and I and both of my bosses were pregnant, which was kind of funny. So, when I asked them to take time off to go become a doula. They were really supportive, which was great. Um, so, I trained to become a birth doula, and I did probably about a dozen births. Um, and then I went back to get my master's and ended up writing my my thesis in uh, the state of maternal health, and it just beca- it just launched this um, sense of we have to do something for the mothers in, in in the world. Um, and I often refer back to my own mom, which I'm really close to. And I think of, you know, wh- where would I be if she hadn't had the luck of surviving all of her births? Mm-hmm. Um, one of five? Four. Four, four, one of four. Um, so anyways, and then it just kind of catapult. It's, it's a real, uh, can of worms. Once you open it and you get deep into this, the importance of maternal health and the state of maternal health in all different countries and, um, you know, based on your even just your socioeconomic background or where you, you know, give birth. And so, yeah, that launched it long before I became a, a mother myself. And it was kind of ironic. I I Both of my sisters ended up having home births because I kind wow. of, um, for one sister, it was her third was the home birth. For the other one, it was her first. And it was just and me having not even been through it, but explaining to them why you're, they could do this or what are their options and going through all this stuff for them. And then the irony was when I got pregnant, it was twins and I couldn't have a home birth because it was
0: oh. <laughs> Iris
2: high risk pregnancy. Um, you know, it's just but but being a doula and having a doula and and kind of being well educated and well versed in maternal health started long before I became a mom. And then since becoming a mom has just, you know, it increased.
1: With your second pregnancy, you had a home birth. I did have a home birth. Yeah. Wow. And was that experience? Compl- I mean, obviously, there's only one, not two. It right. Was a- just an incredible experience. Did you have, wait, can I ask, did you have a vaginal birth with your mm-hmm. twins? That's always amazing for me. When when people, when mothers of twins tell me that they had a vaginal birth with twins, I just think it's incredible.
0: Well, is it like restarting all over again from the top? At, with, with <laughs> I the know, right? One? Oh. <laughs> like, <you> know, <laughs> Done that one, here we go again. <laughs> it's, so the irony was, is
2: I had to fight to have a vaginal birth for my yeah. twins. There, were, there are three care providers in Manhattan that'll do it. And only one of the three we'll Do vaginal breaches, and there's always a risk that one of your twins can be breached because that's how they're kind of most comfortable mm-hmm. in there. It's like yin, yin, yin yang. Yeah, um, luckily both of mine were head down, um, and my OB was unbelievably supportive. Um, and she's like, Oh, I, I know how to get these kids out, don't worry about it. You know, I had an unmedicated vaginal birth, wow. which she was also very supportive of because a lot of times with twins, they're they don't really want you to do that because they encourage an epidural catheter in case of an emergency. Mm-hmm. Um, but again. My mindset was, I think I can get these, you know, I I know how they got in there. I think I know how to get them out. Um, But I also recognized that I was able to find her and have her services and have the birth I wanted um, because I'm a privileged white woman at the end of the day. Um, My insurance would not cover it. They covered the hospital, but none of her fees. Um, Your OBGYN they didn't cover? Mm -mm. No, because she took on what they considered was too high risk.
0: Wow.
2: Yeah, which is really... Kind of shocking. Um, and my husband and I have great, you know, insurance. But nonetheless, they wouldn't take it on. So, um, and I, and and actually she's featured in the film, which is funny. And she stopped um, doing obstetrics last year because she just would not give in to what the hospital policies forced her and wanted her to do. Um, yeah. So, yeah. So, it's, I was really relieved when she confirmed my pregnancy and it was just one because I thought if it was twins and she's not practicing obstetrics, I don't really know what I would do. Mm-hmm. Um, so, which, and then she also said, "You're the perfect candidate for a home birth." Like, thumbs up. Send me a text message when it so happens. So she did it yeah. for you at home. She didn't. No, no. Oh, she. Okay. I had an incredible team of midwives that were with me at home, um, but yeah, it was a very different experience. That's in incredible. like the best way ever.
0: Yeah. Describe it, because I. I mean, I think people hear home birth and it's sort of. I my 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 home birth experience was I went on YouTube before I had John and watched like forty hours of home home oh, you births
1: watch when they catch their own baby.
0: All kinds that's of all really, kinds of crazy stuff. A lot me. of houseboats were involved. Like it was very it was just it was an interesting House picture. It was, I don't know why. Like I was always lived on houseboats. Um, but what was that? What was it like? I mean, first of all, what when do you who's there and when do you call them and how did you prepare for it? And what was your emergency plan? Like what was all of that?
2: Gosh, that's a lot. So I had to prepare for it. I, I had given birth before I knew what to expect in terms of how I handle things. Mm-hmm. Um, I I kind of predicted that he'd be born about 10 days before his due date um, because my twins, I went into spontaneous labor with my twins and they were born on the new moon. And the new moon last April was 10 days before. And I was like, he'll be born on the new moon too. Like that's just Funny. how. Yeah. They say, actually, if you map it out, that all your kids are born on very similar times of the moon.
1: Oh, isn't that interesting? interesting. Yeah. Oh, I want to go and look. Now up. you want to
2: write. You look up every birth date. So I kind of knew that I had told I had this incredible t- and my and it was the week also that both of my midwives are going to be in town um, because the week before one was gone and the week after the other was gone. And I really wanted them both there. Uh, so my Why? plan. <sighs> I re- it would be really hard for me to have to choose one or only birth with one because I got very connected to both of them mm-hmm. throughout my antenatal care. So I really wanted them both there. They were um, – and they're ex- exceptional women. And so the plan was – and I kind of and I kind of said it out loud. I said, you know, if someone's like, what are you going to do with your boys? And I was like, well, I'm going to put them to bed and then I'll have the baby. And they were like, well, what if it's the middle of the day? And I was like, it's not – I don't think it's going to be. I think I'm just going to put them to sleep. And then I'll have the baby. That's actually exactly what happened. So I labored slowly through the morning, um, walked the Brooklyn Bridge for the first time in the decade I'd lived in New York. I was like, come on, let's get this. Let's walk this baby. So my husband and I went walking. I'd been in touch with my midwives and my doula. And I said, but nothing's too strong yet. Nothing's, you know, really picking up. Then I got my acupuncture. and I was like, all right, let's get this kind of going. Like I don't want to have contractions every 20 minutes for the next 48 hours and she left at 2 p.m. and then i realized i hadn't done like a belly cast so i was like told my husband so you're like was,
1: let's like, do an art project let's like like i need to do even labor yeah. let's do an art project Get the muslin <laughs> exactly <laughs> like the,
2: the, my my twins are napping like let's do this real quick and i had a contraction during that and i thought oh i actually really need to like call my midwives now not just text them and i called them and they said all right look we're they were, they were across the bridge in brooklyn and i was like let me, you know, they're like, just call us back in about an hour, but we'll get our stuff ready. And then I texted with my doula and she said, you know, how you feeling? How far apart? And I was like, I don't know, every five minutes or so, maybe 40 seconds long. And she called me and she said, yeah, OK, this is your second time around. Technically, your third baby. This can go from zero, zero to 100, to- like really fast. Like this is not a slow, you know, like if at this point is when you'd be like, we need to get you to the hospital kind of thing. I thought, oh, OK. And then I had a couple more and my midwives were like, we're already on our way. We knew you were going to try to short us. And so we're like already <laughs> on our way. And they showed up at 5.45 p.m. And he was born at 8.15. Wow. So it picked up. We didn't have time to fill the birth tub. Mm-hmm. Like I had a whole I had like this whole thing where I was going to have like a birth tub when the sun was setting, like it was, you
0: know, in my living room. I mean, this is hilarious that you have this level of like detail around the story I, before it happened. It's amazing. Like I, I had Well, you
2: had you planned for it in a certain way. Right. right. Um. And that never happened. I was in my own bathtub, like in my bathroom. I made it from there, like on my hands and knees to the end of my bed. And he was born on our bed. Like I couldn't move.
1: Now, I'm very interested because we, you know, we are uh, are three women who have – 8, 9, 10, 11 children oh between gosh. the three of us. That's a lot of people. And we've had all very good experiences giving birth. And we've been blessed to have very healthy babies. And what you're coming to us with is that not everybody is that lucky. Um, so please let us know um, what the situation is mm-hmm. and how we can get involved
2: and help. So I actually didn't think I was going to get this involved, but I've worked in maternal health in various ways um, for a long time. And uh, Paula, who's the director of Born Free, and I connected and I and originally it was just about um, being she she was looking for more connections within the birth world. Right. And, and opening up this conversation. And I got really involved and I thought, hang on, this is really important because a lot of what triggered my journey in in birth work was the business of being born, which, you know, is now over 10 years old. And I thought, well, hang on a second. T- I started this 10 years ago and nothing's changed. Right. So what have we done over the last 10 years? Um, and then the, and, and the statistics, and I, you know, I've given birth three times in the United States. My sisters haven't, they had their children in Europe. And so I, in comparison and in looking through, you know, what their options were, um, what my options were, and we've all had healthy, happy children and good experiences, but not everybody is that lucky. And when you start to look at the staggering figures, like, um, our generation is 50% more likely to die in childbirth than our mothers were, right? What? Why? Why? Well, there's all sorts of reasons. There's, um, you know, there's systemic ageism, racism, um, you know, and stigma around poverty when it comes to maternal health care. There's a lack of providers. There is um, more uh, complications, you know, preeclampsia, diabetes, obesity, things like that that are starting to to trigger more issues. And the United States has one of the highest C-section rates in the world. Which naturally, with surgery, there are other complications, right. you know, that that can come with that. So it's being used more commonly and not necessarily as just an emergency measure. So you know, that's that's just part of it. And I, um, and and the instances of obstetric abuse are actually increasing, and it's so heartbreaking to hear. And some of the interviews and the testimonials in the film um, were personally really hard for me to watch as a mom, and especially as somebody who was totally respected. And well treated during all of my prenatal Mm -hmm. care and my births and um, made me realize how much I took that for granted, Mm -hmm. actually, and how a lot of people don't have um, that ability. And then, you know, there's a lot of these stories that happen on the news of, of, you know, there was a a woman who had a forced cesarean section um, and she has no recourse on the hospital or the doctor because he's the doctor claims that it was the right thing to do for the baby. So Mm -hmm. he's right. Yeah. Even though her, you know, she's now permanently injured because of it, and so on, and so forth. So there's a lot of these conversations that people don't want to have because th- we tend to fall back to, well, you're healthy and your baby's healthy, so then what? But actually, you know how I, Ina May Gaskin actually says this. She says how a how a culture treats their women in birth says a lot about how they respect them, kind of within their holistically. culture and holistically. And so, um that's what this film addresses. It talks about why now, what is it like to give birth in America today? Um, And not just for those of us that are like us, that have had all these great experiences that are in an epicenter of great health, you know, great healthcare systems Mm -hmm. and can afford it and, you know, so on and so forth. And it's uh, very eye-opening to a conversation that needs to, that people need to start having, actually. Um, And that, you know, birth plans and doulas and you know, home birth should not only be accessible to those of us who can afford it and to those of us who are who have uh, the, the networks and the communities to be educated about their benefits, for example.
1: What are, are there certain organizations that we can get involved in, um, involved with to try to improve this? Are there, is, should we go to like our town halls? What should we do? I think people need to start, uh, I think insurance
2: companies first and foremost, need to start covering alternative care. And I mean, Midwives and doulas, and because they're incredible doulas, especially just in the New York area, um, that do a lot of volunteer work that go work with under uh, a service communities to help you know help them get the births that they want because um, so that they're not marginalized and they're not abused in childbirth and they feel like they have options or they can discuss options you know even just having the choice is is huge Mm -hmm. and you know I'm I've always been a huge fan of Every Mother Counts I love Mm -hmm. what they do. Um, I'm a huge fan of what they do on a national level and right. on an international level. Um, and more than anything, I just think it's you, people just need to have conversations and people need to talk about it and and um, not maybe not take it for granted. I think what I you know, I got to have, like I said, the births that I wanted. Right. And, and maybe that's like a little too like hippie for some people to be like, no, it's great. I gave birth on my bed and I loved every minute of it. And they're like, okay, crazy lady, no problem, <laughs> you know? But for me, most important what in, in having this conversation is just have the birth that you want. Like, don't feel like you got pushed in one direction or another. Mm-hmm. I think that you, we can't take for granted the fact that, you know, Western medicine has absolutely increased, um, you know, the viability of of preemies and of mothers that do have complications. Mm-hmm. And like, when you need it, you really need it. Right. And it's- in. I'm so grateful that we do have it. Um, and I think that, you know, and even in, you know, I had a little complication in my home birth because I'd had twins before. I hemorrhaged a little, but my midwives knew exactly how to handle it. And we had a, there was always a backup plan and there's always, you know, a conversation about what happens if, mm-hmm. right? And I think that a lot has changed. The only thing I will say that I really believe has changed in the 10 years since the business of being born. I think that a lot of these, um what in that film feel like very aggressive interventions, they've actually perfected a little bit better so now women can get walking epidurals. It's not like a total spinal block. I think that they've gotten better at fine tuning induction. It's not just like Servadryl and a bunch of Pitocin and like tough luck, here it's coming. Like they're good at reading your body signs and working with you and seeing, you know, what that looks like. I and I I my my greatest wish I think for um and my one of my reasons for getting involved in this in this film is I I like to say I'm a birthright activist. And what I mean by that is have any birth you want. If it's in a tent in the middle of the wilderness, I just read an article about a woman who gave birth in the Red Sea. I don't know if you saw that. Mm,
1: That's so spiritual. Like, wow.
2: (laughs) Wow. All right. You know, or if you choose to say, you know what? No, I'm going to go in and I'm going to have a plan C section and this is what works for me. That's fine. I just my greatest fight is I want you to have all the information available to you mm-hmm. to be able to make the decision that is right for you. Right. The same thing we do when we're mothers, right? We look at what makes sense. Does breastfeeding make sense for me? Can I? Can't I? Do I want to? Don't I want to? Um, you know, the same thing when you're, I don't know, your kid is teething. What is What does my baby need? To be with me? To not be with me? Does it need Tylenol? Does it not? Does it, whatever it might be, this the same process you go through in motherhood, you should go through in pregnancy and childbirth. And I just um, I, I think that having this conversation and having it accessible to literally everybody, so that you know somebody who I don't know hasn't had the chance to to read what to expect when you're expecting, for right. example, you know goes into labor and understands what why they're putting a hep lock in, what is a what is pitocin for, why would they
0: break your water, for example, right. just so you know, you know what are the why do you reasons? think it's taken this long for us to have that conversation in the in sort of the common sphere? I don't like. I don't think. I think people just assume that America has the highest, best medical care imaginable. What and it sounds to me like you know your sisters had had ba- their babies in Europe. It sounds like there are things in that system that you think we should probably have over here that we don't. I know, but I have, I think I've said this on the podcast before. I have had girlfriends who had their babies in London and it's mandated by, I gather, the government paid for by NIH, their their you know, national insurance um, provider, that a post-birth doula or post-birth care practitioner comes and visits you at your house within the first six weeks of being home, like makes sure you're set up, helps you um, nurse if you're having difficulty, or if you want to, you know, in some cases cooks for you, like does all kinds of, Caring for the mother, that definitely is not even part of the conversation, um, much less paid for by someone else uh, to help take care of you and help you adjust and transition into motherhood. Why do you think that's the case and and why is it finally becoming a conversation now? Or is it not a conversation now? It's just we're having the conversation, so we think it is.
2: I think it's a conversation in a very small group of people. I think it's not a big conversation yet and it needs to be talked about. I think that we're quick to talk about all sorts of other mm-hmm. women's health issues, right? And I, and for some reason, there's something around like pregnancy and childbirth. And I don't know if it's because it involves vaginas, but like everybody's not so Ooh. sure they want to <laughs> jump into it all the time. Right. It's, it, and there's something to be, I mean, I, I, I don't know they're, why they're, people aren't having it. I also think that we tend to have, you know, this, um, I don't know, almost like a shell shock of so much happens in childbirth, right? And I don't think we honor the time it takes us to prep for it, recover from it. You know, we don't, um, the United States is only one of three countries in the world that doesn't actually have mandated parental leave, which is interesting. Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, we're just supposed to be like, super moms and make it happen and everybody's supposed to be okay. And and I and I think that that there's just a lot around it that feels still taboo and it shouldn't, Mm -hmm. you know, and podcasts like these kind of like blow the doors open and we're like, we're going to talk about it. And that's really important. Um, And then a lot more of this needs to happen on a cultural level and within smaller communities and smaller groups. And I think, um, you know, even with my close friends, the topic of childbirth came up early because I was a doula. Sorry, I canceled dinner. I was called to a birth. Right. What? So these kinds of things that we got to talk about on on an earlier site. But if not usually you only talk about it once someone is pregnant or once someone mm-hmm. has given birth. And I I think that people and women especially need to start caring about it long before they become mothers. And I think that for me having, you know, 6 7 years within this world before becoming a mother mm-hmm. absolutely prepped me for exactly what I needed to do um you know f- in for myself and for my babies. When I got pregnant.
0: Mm-hmm, Was so. your mother like you or like who taught you that, you know, this kind of this kind of hippie, quote unquote, oh, you know, right. birthing method could be for you?
2: No, I mean, my mom had, you know, four hospital births and four epidurals. And, you know, but she did this in the 80s and that's just what they did there. She didn't think of any other options. And I often... I still feel like today that's a real like split between something that's hyper medicalized and like, you know, I had a home birth, like I'm a total hippie and like this assumption there were candles burning and like, you know, my midwives they weren't. wore skirts. <laughs> <laughs> no, there really, were not, um, you know, kind of thing. And it's not, you know, there's there is a happy medium. There is a way to that you can we can all kind of meet in the middle Um just because I had a home birth doesn't mean I'm anti hospital birth or vice versa, you know? And I think there's, there tends to be an extremism on yeah. either side. And um, I, my mom is unbelievably holistic. Um, very, she's an incredible mother. She's very in touch with who she is as a mother. I think a lot of, I think um, the four of us are a great source of pride for her, but also kind of what really made her grow, right? And when she became, it's all she ever wanted was to be a mom and, and you can tell in how she was with us. And, you know, she's like the number one cheerleader. She thought it was the coolest thing ever when we decided to have home births. And she's there She's been there for every single birth of her grandchildren, oh, almost. Oh, it's amazing. Yeah, so you know, and I mean, like right there, like when I gave birth in my bedroom, it was my doula, my midwives, my husband, and my mom. You know, <laughs> and is. and so yeah, I think I definitely get part of this from her. Um, and she says if she could do it all over again, you know, she didn't have any complications, and she, in retrospect, she said she one hundred percent would have probably done it at home or in a birthing center. Yeah. You
0: know? Well, the, no, but I think your point about, um, you know, creating creating the vibe and the energy in the room that you want. And obviously having your mother there was so significant and it's incredible. What it like, what it, if, if, if you want that, what, what a, what a <laughs> right. gift, you know, <laughs> like, um, but I, but I, I for my first birth, I really wanted a birthing center. I would have, I actually would have done it at home. I didn't. My husband was like more nervous about that than I was, and so we like compromised on birthing center. And then my OB was the one who said, you know, the birthing center is one floor down from the operating suite. So God forbid there's a problem. I can't live with those three minutes that it would take to call the elevator, get you in the elevator, get you upstairs. Like, you know, what if there was that could be the most critical 3 minutes of your life and or of your baby's life and so you know long story short I didn't end up getting to to do that and they wanted me on the floor with the OR there can,
1: can you guys talk to me about what a birthing center is because I actually from having my so many kids I don't know what a birthing center
0: is it, for me at the hospital that I was birthing at it was they basically just have a birthing room or suite or a couple rooms where there's like a big water tub you can you can be in Mm -hmm. if you want to have a water birth, which was my my was my goal. And or they're just like a comfortable area. It's not a it's not a medical. I mean, you can probably. yeah And you're tended
2: to by midwives most of
0: the time. Yeah. So doctors are the backups
2: for midwives. Um, And it's interesting because I think midwives probably get a bad rep, but they are just as qualified as an OB. The only difference is they didn't do any surgical residency. So a midwife cannot do a C-section, um, but she's capable of doing basically everything else that right. they are. Um, so th- you're tended to by midwives and OBs or doctors are called in if there is if they're needed. In other words, if it's suddenly no longer a natural childbirth right. or there's a complication, then they're called in. But for the most part, you're tended to by midwives. Um, and it's it's a little bit more of like a free setting, if that makes sense. You're not hooked struck up. To, to You're
0: not struck to continuous, you know, f- fetal monitoring. You... Um, which is infuriating, which which to me is like a signal <laughs> of how antiquated the system is, and that it was created by men because no woman would have created a fetal monitoring system that's two like <laughs> rubber belts. bands. I mean that, that move around constantly, dig into you that like you always have to reset. You can't pee without like moving them off of you. I mean it's so insane. But um, but no, I mean I ended up having to do it in a more hospitalized setting. But I had my aromatherapy diffuser. I had my I had my like woo woo. You know, Daphne my brings woo-wees. the birthing center to. <laughs> I did did feel like I I, the way that I cleared that hurdle of this is going to be lesson one in how parenting does not mirror what you assume your parenting journey will look like is this birth. And um, and despite that, I can make it my own and I can make it comfortable and, and a happy place for me because that is like that was the headspace I needed to be in. Um so I had a million snacks because I also had this like I wanted all the nurses constantly coming in to check on me. So I was like, I'll bring snacks. They'll come. They'll you had come. snacks for them? Tons of snacks for so them. So I was like I that's not John fair. By, like, I didn't a get to eat chewy bar. No, I didn't get to eat anything. I like, I was, you know, because again the I had to be induced with filmina and being on Pitocin and, and like they wouldn't let you eat anything. They wouldn't let you do it. I it
1: popsicles. I love Are you. You told me the popsicles. I didn't know about this. <gasps> so in, good. In time. As long as they go clear. They're so good. <laughs> I look forward to it so much. Like if, if I, I don't I am somebody I don't do birthing classes. I will pack up and go. I don't I don't need a lot. I'm a very compact little little thing. And so but. I do think that my one necessity is my popsicles. I literally think that's like the one the one thing I need to. And if Alec does not come through with those popsicles, done. <laughs> done. Over. That is his Spiles price of entry. Divorce.
2: Price of entry to the birthing <laughs> suite. My husband, when I gave birth to the twins, felt like very unneeded because I had my sister and my mom mm-hmm. and my doula and like I was in my own zone. I like went to a complete zone. Which is fair because you'd just given birth to twins. No, before when I was in labor <laughs> with them. And I was was like, I don't know why you're here. Like, I'm good. I got this kind of thing. (laughs) And I went into any, I think I was just like barely six, six and a half maybe. And my mom said, come on, let's, it was like 9, 9 9.30 p.m. And he's like, she's like, come on, I'll go get you some dinner. Like, let's go eat a little something. This could be a long night. And they left for 45 minutes maybe. Your mom and your husband. My mom and my husband. He came back and he had eaten a Reese's peanut butter cup. And he (laughs) was leaning over the bed. And he kind of comes and he grabs my hand and my he says my eyes like darted open. Are You breathing? Peanut like, butter? Did you eat uh, peanut butter? Uh, uh, you know how your, how senses, you. your senses are yes. so hyper? Uh, oh. and I, I I told I shooed him away. I don't that even think I had words. Hilarious. I shooed him away. Oh, that's so and I made him go funny. like go chew. brush go go brush your, brush your teeth. teeth like get out of here. And and then he came back from chewing a piece of gum and <laughs> my doctor was like, okay, it's it's go time. He's like, wait, what? That's you know. So oh wait, funny. finish
0: the story. Is it like stop? Is it like having breath all over again when you have to push two out? So
2: I... I, That was like 30 minutes ago.
0: I know, but I'm (laughs) going
2: back. Um, So, no, because you only have to labor with one, right? So I labored with one. My first son was out and I I was in an OR. Mm -hmm. I had to be in an OR for, for emergency reasons, which is, by the way, totally... Hard to go from like a wide hospital bed to an OR gurney. Mm-hmm. Those things are like twenty-two inches mm-hmm. wide, mm-hmm. and I was large, right? Right. So like getting getting. My I never big thought body, about that
1: before.
2: That's wow. it's really hard. <laughs> they hoisted you up. I mean, I mean, they you were really like, get yeah, one, there. two, three. Can you help? Me? <laughs> Literally, I rolled. I had one nurse help pull my <laughs> oh, arm. My I mean, it was. Oh, it was really hard. And there's no like stirrups or anything. So you kind of have to get yourself. (laughs) you
1: just like, don't fall.
2: (laughs) Try not to. Like if I swung a leg a little too far, I was. Oh, my God. Um, Yeah. So my first son comes out. The risk with twins is always the second baby. It's not the first. Um, Because they can turn. They can flip. They can. um, There's all sorts of, you know, and you want to make sure that your placentas don't detach before uh, the baby's born. So the minute he was the first was out. I, it felt suddenly like a lot more attention was on me, if hmm. that makes sense. Um, Interesting. And yeah, there, all of a sudden there was a lot more. And, and the NICU team takes the baby just to check him out because they were born at 36 weeks. So they're still preemies. They take – so it was a bit of a – there's a lot of shuffle suddenly. And then um, I remember a nurse kind of pushing down on my belly because she had to get the fetal heart rate monitor close to the second baby and, I, and she did it really abruptly, and I remember saying to her, and you can kind of hear it, my husband filmed, and I'm like, I'm sorry, can you be gentle? I just had a baby. Like, <laughs> it was, And she says, oh, I, I know, sweetheart, but we got <laughs> to get this going. And so, yeah, it was – there's no labor part. It's a little uncomfortable. My doctor had to go up there, get him down, um, and luckily he was head down, but he was posterior. And then she's like, all right, get, let's get this baby out. I was like, oh, okay. The hard part is that um, – I didn't feel my contractions anymore. So I was going you were based so on flooded with well, my uterus was like yeah. flabby. Like yeah. a deflated balloon, no, you jelly, know, it wasn't yeah. properly pushing. Um so I had to go with them telling me when to push instead of the first time when I could actually feel it. Hmm. Uh, but yeah, you gotta push a second baby out right then and there. Um but at that point, I have to be honest, it's kind of it's it you've been Sorry, it's, you it's all it's, it's kind open. of it's open, it's numb, it's kind of like it's you're getting the baby out. It's yeah.
0: And what was your recovery <laughs> like? pretty easy i i
2: hemorrhaged and they they caught it on the early that was within two hours of birth three hours of birth um i remember being starving and i was like sitting in the recovery room like <laughs> chowing
1: down all the snacks that i had is, brought oh, wait, that's like the best thing is the first meal afterwards uh, oh, it's it was. because you're not hungry after like when you're super pregnant no, for like you, a couple months you're like yeah, nothing is your stomach good, is finally good expandable. nothing and then that first meal afterwards it's like
2: Yes. Best thing ever. Best. Um no, but my recovery was totally fine. I went home the next day. My boys luckily needed no NICU time and like you know, it's like, They were born I...
1: at exactly thirty-six weeks.
2: They were born at thirty-five weeks, six days. That was
1: my my second one was thirty five weeks, six 35, days. Thirty five six. And isn't it amazing that they cheat you differently every single day? Mine mine mm-hmm. he, my son was a little jaundice. Yeah, so, so was to, one he of He had mine. to go under, the, like the lights with like have all these pictures Aww, of him with like the he sunglasses sunbathing. on. And he's like, he's, <laughs> and he's so cute. The, my OB actually, one of mine was
2: little Jaundice, and she said, um, she said to me, Look, I'll see you in a couple days. Um so just if he nurses well. And, he, and my firstborn, he was by the time he was four days old, he only weighed four pounds, eight ounces. I, mean, I had little, little they little were 4'14 four and 5'3, and they were but you know, they lose all that yeah. extra yes. fluid. And they were little, but the, my pediatrician, my OB were like, all right, as long as, you know, and they were born in, in September, so it was still sun, yeah. sunny mm-hmm. out, and they were like, sit by the window when you breastfeed, like, let them get, but.
1: That's a thing that was, uh, I think with jaundice, they overreact to it, and I wish I had, for me, who did not do enough research before. <laughs> um, still ask questions on this podcast like I'm a first-time mother and I've had a million. But I wish I had done more research on it because I feel like I learned that it had like this whole like peak time. Mm-hmm. I forget exactly what it was where it actually does get worse and then it gets better. And if they're eating and you can put them in a the little the sunlight, they're usually fine. Whereas the, the treatment that my son got was really extreme. Um, And they were wonderful. I love the NICU. I mean, I spent quite a lot of time there. Um, But but yeah, no, I mean, I think that there's not just about what women are experiencing, but what the babies are experiencing post-birth is... Yeah, it's kind of intense,
2: and like not sep and also like not creating that separation. Like if you look at any of the studies on kangaroo care for preemies, right? So your your a mother's body temperature will regulate to bring her mm-hmm. baby's body temperature to where it needs to be, mm-hmm. you know. And they've done all these incredible studies that show that. So so for me, for the first you know ten days of my, especially for my for Leo, my firstborn, he was little. I kept him like skin on skin for the better part of 10 days. Like I just sat in bed and then up kind of on my couch for a little, I got a little cabin fever. I had to move, but, you know, skin on skin for the longest time. And he, by eight weeks, he was round and had rolls and it was great. You know, it's like the best squishy, squishy, squishy thing, even though they were tiny when they were born.
0: Um, I do want to just ask because, you know, just even, even the very, very minimal things that any of us had to deal with, with our, you know, with, with jaundice or with being you know, slightly premature or whatever, there was never any, there's never any question you were going to get the best of the care of it available. And that, you know, you'd be able to ask the right questions. I want to give people um, listening and, and you know, maybe it's not for you, maybe listening, and maybe it's for a friend or someone that you know, in your community that needs this information. Like what, what, what would be the number one question or the number one way you would, you would want people to know they can advocate for themselves? I, I would actually say don't
2: talk to everybody else about their birth because it's not mm-hmm. going to be like yours. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, cool. my – like I, my sisters and I had all the same amount of prep, all the same amount of access to information. We all had very different births. Mm-hmm. Nonetheless, we're healthy and happy and it was fine, but they were very different. So I wouldn't um, – and I wouldn't let anybody else scare you into something either. Um So for me, it's about doing your own research. Uh, I think childbirthconnection.org is an amazing uh, website that gives you access to all different kinds of birth stories and explanations and things that you might be curious about, uh, so that you're not necessarily always, you know, just going on your browser and you know seeing like what's that. Oh, yeah, and, yeah, Google can be you know, watching right. the houseboat births. That right. I was, <laughs> yes. right. Yes. You know, exactly. <laughs> you know, you so that there are other options and there are incredibly inspiring stories of people who had fully medicalized birth, and there are really inspiring stories of people who gave birth in a in a body of water somewhere. Mm-hmm. You know, so um I think it's really important to to be aware of and, and not be not be not fear the physiological side of birth. Women have done this forever, mm-hmm. um, but be really understanding in what can go wrong, and what you're comfortable with if it goes wrong. And have those conversations with your care provider. Um, and if you need the support, reach out and get the support. Um, there are a lot of uh, doulas and who in training who will take on you know moms for no fee or minimal fee. There are a lot of uh, mom groups that have these conversations before they give birth, I think it's important not to feel isolated um, and not to feel like any question is too dumb to ask. You know, it's it's you keep learning no matter how many babies you've had, no matter every baby's different. Every birth is different. You know, arguably every conception's different. What are our rights? Well, it's an interesting uh, you have a lot more rights, I think, than people lead on. Um, And I and I'll just I'll go into it in a more on a personal level. I um, I knew a lot of when I was interviewing OBs uh, to have my twins, a lot of them said they would not allow me to not get the epidural catheter, that it was like one of their mandates. And f- I was very um, hell-bent to a certain extent that I, my body was going to be able to get these babies out without needing that. Like I knew that I was going to be okay. Um, and I, of course, had access to the research lo- long before. And I remember when I was like totally in transition that they made went in the hospital, they said and and not even my, my OB, like the anesthesiologist, the nurse said, the anesthesiologist is here, this is your last chance." And I remember being like, "I'm sorry, did we not have this conversation four hours ago right. when I said i didn't, I didn't want to have this <laughs> right you know, and there's um, I have every right to refuse it, but they kept pushing it like I wasn't like I didn't have that right, you know, mm-hmm. and I actually had to sign a waiver that was like, i'm if." If you have to put me under general anesthesia for an emergency, I won't sue you, even if I die or my baby dies. Like there's like there's language right, in there, right? Um, about that, which is something that you
1: have to sign that while you were in labor. Yeah. I was seven centimeters. jeez. Oh, I signed it five minutes
2: before my husband ate the Reese's peanut butter cup, <laughs> and I know that because <laughs> the timeline, the time, <laughs> the timeline. Because I had this card. I remember half reading it coming out of a contraction, and I looked up for him. Like, can you read um, this you to read me this? and make and I, sure, and that he wasn't there. He wasn't there, and my doula like talked me through it. Oh you know, because you're not in your right mind, no, like, and I, you don't, you know. Um, and and actually, in the film, there's this the, the incredibly brave woman who tells her story about having an episiotomy cut against her consent. She said, "Please don't cut me," and he said, "Then you can go give birth elsewhere." And then he snipped fourteen times. And she has long lasting damage from that. Okay, this is a worst case scenario, right, where I'm I'm giving I'm highlighting something that's terrible. That's a horror story. Right. Um, And but that kind of those kinds of things exist. And I think that you have every right not to consent to a certain intervention and you have every right. um, You know, there's the people talk about discrimination when they start off for a home birth and they have to be transferred. Right. And people look down on them for like trying to have a home birth, like, huh, med- you know, the medical system's better. You and your hippie dippy midwives like should have known, but, you know, but it happens. And there are instances where they'll come in and they'll be triaged and they'll be like left to labor on their own and not be checked for a while, for example, even though it's an emergency. Like there's certain there, there are things like that. And I think it comes down to um, if you I think this is where doulas play a really important part for advocating for mm-hmm. you, you know. You need them. You're not in your right mind in the depths of – in your most vulnerable moment of giving birth. You can't make a rational decision like that. But a lot of times if you, you if you know your rights ahead of time – like I joke about I travel with a printout from the TSA about breast milk so that I don't – you know, they tell me what can yeah, and can't be yeah. frozen. It's kind of the same thing going into um, any kind of medicalized environment. For me anyways, I had it ready to go what my birth wishes were had if I had to be transferred from my home birth. Um, and same when I was in the hospital – if, my sec- if I have to go under general anesthesia, if there's a risk, you know, I said I was very clear and it was written out, not just for me, but for my support group as well. You know, I wanted my mom to stay with me and my husband to go be with our babies like that was important to me, you know, for him to be with them if there were complications and you and to, you have to be able to talk about these things and be like, it is my right to have this person with me when I give birth. Right. Like right by me, no matter what yeah. it is. And I have every right to refuse. I know it's your medical opinion, but if you just give me. I don't know. Let me switch positions and try to push this baby out. Maybe it'll avoid an intervention, or just give me one more hour and then we'll see if it's worth breaking my water, or whatever it might be. Um, You have all those rights. And I think that we are quick to fall into a pattern of fear when we don't need to be fearful. And um, I just kind of go back to what I said before, which is if you, if I I want every woman to have the confidence and the access to use, you know, all the education that's provided out there for you. To be able to make an, a, a decision for their childbirth, whatever that might be, so that you're not in a One of the pickle. things
1: I love, I love about how you're describing this is, um, you know, you hear the childbirth. i all hear women come and give, tell me their childbirth story, and they'll say how disappointed they were. So many of them are disappointed. I didn't have the music going. I didn't have the this, and I wanted it to be this way, and it wasn't that way. And what I love about what you're saying is, yeah, I had my plan A. And you were lucky that it went pretty much according right. to plan A. But I also knew my plan N, you know, and, and that was I walked through all those steps of like what happens if this. And if you do it that way, it seems like you won't have that like deep disappointment. It's like it has to be this way. And if it's not this way, it's going to be bad. Um, and I think that that's a really good piece of advice that our listeners can go home with. Well, it's funny, actually, because it's, you
0: know, you think of like a hippy dippy approach would be very lax and just like go with the flow. And it's not. It actually requires that much more planning. And it's still <laughs> your plan. It's your plan N, but it's still your plan. And I think that that's um, whenever the system is not set up to let you have all the answers right at the outset, the more you do it in advance of you actually needing to know those answers, the better off you'll be. Um I know we can't keep you here forever, which is very sad for us. We do like to ask our guests to share a favorite thing.
2: Um, The thing I'm really into right now that I recently discovered is on in my alarm clock app on my phone. There's a bedtime setting Mm -hmm. where you can kind of decide how many hours of sleep you think you need. And it gives Mm -hmm. you a little reminder like, hey, if you're planning on getting those eight hours, you need to be in the bed in bed in the next half hour. And since I stopped nursing at night. I it's been really nice for me to set those boundaries for myself because I set it a little early. You know, I don't actually am not actually going to sleep nine hours, but it's nine hours of me time. So Mm -hmm. when it gives me that alert, it gives me time to go to pump, you know, whatever, get ready for bed. And then in the morning, I tend to wake up before it anyways. But then that's time for me. So it's kind of been a nice version of, you know, putting on my oxygen mask first, especially with all the traveling. And it's and it's it's nice. And it's a good reminder for like out to dinner. And I'm like, Without looking at my watch, my phone's like, ding, you should be in bed soon. I'm like, okay, great, guys. Let's get the check, you know, like because I need to I need to wake up and be a mom tomorrow and I need to, like, prioritize Mm. myself. And it's been a a, a nice reminder to put myself first. It's
1: a good one in all
2: of in all of it.
0: And tell people where they can follow you and learn more. You can follow me on Instagram,
2: Sarah OJ. Uh, The documentary Born Free uh, can be found at bornfreefilm.com.
1: All right, guys, that was Sarah. Um, and she's, she's absolutely amazing. I mean, she just like exudes this like comfort with yes. herself. She's like, well, I know that this is the way it's going motherly to be. Motherly confidence for Motherly, sure. motherly confidence. Um, so no, it's amazing what she's what she has been working on. And just know that, that you are the mother. This is your baby. And you have the right to be the boss. Um, and so many times, especially for first-time mothers, because we don't know yet, um, we are not looked at as having that kind of authority, mm-hmm. and and just know that that is your right. And going in to have your baby, knowing your rights is extremely important.
0: Always good to learn a little bit about initiatives and ways we can get involved and try to, um, you know, try to push this conversation along where we can. Now we're gonna do our favorite things.
1: Now it's time for our favorite things.
0: My favorite thing this week is actually a $9 brush that I found on some like deep Instagram dive that I bought on Amazon called the Tangle Teaser. And of course, as is typical with me, like everyone else already knew about this, but for some reason didn't tell me, which is so rude because it is such a game changer if you deal with your own hair, but also kids' hair that gets really tangly and they they hate having their hair hairbrush and it bothers them and it's it scratches their scalp or whatever. They're, this brush is... It looks like a little amoeba. It has these soft plastic bristles that somehow manage to get rid of every tangle in both my like thick horse mane hair and Philomena's very fine, fragile hair. Um, it's super gentle. I don't find that it breaks my hair at all, which I really like. And it's so light. I I keep them in my bag and I like always have them just to run through my hair, which I love. And um, it doesn't create any frizz, which is something I know that a lot I get asked a lot of questions about. So I like I curl my hair and then I brush it through with this and it just creates that like really beautiful Soft finger wave. Um, so yeah, just something to add to your beauty kit or your you know general general home that I think you guys
1: are gonna love. I love a tangle tee. We have one. Why didn't everyone tell I, me about the I damn didn't know tangle that That's teaser. what it was called. And for and I had one for a while. All right, guys. So my favorite thing this week is one of the ingredients that I use to make feeding my children vegetables less stressful. Regularly, I give them a shake every day. And in the shake, I'll do a banana. I'll do coconut water. I will put different kinds of greens, whether that's spinach, kale, broccoli, a bunch of different things you can kind of just shove in there. Um, my kids do eat nuts. So you can, I put in peanut butter or almond butter. Um, and then um, to make it chocolate, so we call it a chocolate shake, I use organic protein powder. And it's not like a scary protein powder that you're getting from some like vitamin shop that's going to make your kids develop like big muscles. It even says on it that kids can drink this. Um But I will put a a scoop of it. It's not very sugary. It does taste chocolatey. And then you're not lying to your kids when you say, here is your chocolate shake with your dinner. Um, I'll also put it in um, pancakes. And what I do basically, when you think about it, pancakes are um, liquid and pancake mix. I'll get like some organic whole grain pancake mix Um, and then I'll make basically a smoothie which is very similar to the smoothies that I give to them Um, and I'll use that as the liquid Mm. and then I make my pancakes from that and then they are chocolate pancakes with this chocolate organic powder delicious it is delicious all right guys thanks for listening don't forget to subscribe don't forget to share spread the word please don't forget to follow us on Instagram. We love our little our little insta moments. Um, and email us mombrainpod at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Until next time. Bye guys. This is Mombrain with Alaria Baldwin and Daphne Oz. Mombrain is a gallery media group original
0: production.